0: Before we start today's show, we just want to let you know that this episode of Fintech Insider is brought to you by MyTech Systems, a global leader in identity verification technology. With over 80 million users entrusted by the world's largest banks for KYC onboarding and re-verification, MyTech provides the highest assurance levels available, building trust in today's digital world. See how at MyTechSystems.com. That's M-I-T-E-K, MyTech.
1: Hey, everyone. Before we get to today's content, I wanted to tell you about a brand new podcast from the 11FS Podcast Network the FinTech Marketing Podcast hosted by me, Eric Fulweiler, Chief Marketing Officer of 11FS. Over the last couple months, I've been speaking to heads of marketing from the world's leading FinTech and financial service brands, Monzo, Revolut, MasterCard, Zero, Starling, Lemonade, and many more. We heard their insights and ideas on how they build brand and drive growth for their businesses, and now we can bring them to you. So if you're into FinTech, FS, marketing, which I assume you are, Uh, Please check out our brand new podcast, search for fintech marketing podcast on any podcast platform, subscribe, share, leave us a review, and please do let us know your thoughts. Appreciate the support.
0: Welcome to Fintech Insider Interviews. I'm Sam Mall. We're coming to you from our own homes because we're all social distancing. But it's my pleasure to be joined remotely by Wesley Wright, the COO at Varo Money. Wesley, how are you today?
1: I'm good. How are you
0: doing, Sam? I'm doing good. You know, we're not supposed to uh, greet each other that way anymore is what I keep reading. How are you doing? <laughs> I think we're supposed to come up. I don't know what we're supposed to ask um, as a social greeting in, in these times um i'll start with this where are you are you in san francisco or new york
1: i'm in new york city i, I live in new york so okay. i am uh, i am here uh with my family uh staying at home and social distancing and our entire company is uh, doing that everybody's working from home wherever wherever that may be
0: yeah we did the same we went to uh um remote working i think I have two weeks now um it's been the longest two weeks of my life um i'm also at home in jacksonville florida locked in the house with um a couple of kids, a couple of dogs, and my wife. And I cannot wait to get on a plane and fly to New York. <laughs> I, need, I need Korean barbecue so bad. <laughs> it's absolutely killing me. Um, one of these days, we'll get to there. That's true.
1: One, one day we'll be able to do those things again.
0: Yep. Next time we talk, Wesley, we'll be in Korean barbecue. All right. And, and uh, I know exactly where to go. Uh, now I'm hungry. Yes. Great start yes. to this <laughs> conversation. All right. For our listeners that don't know, can you kind of give us the – the elevator pitch, if you will, on Borrow Money. Who, who are y'all? What is it you do? And really, what's your mission?
1: So Borrow Money was founded about four years ago as a challenger banking company, uh, looking to deliver affordable, high-quality banking services to everyday Americans, and uh, leveraging technology, especially mobile technology, to do that. Uh, and, and, you know, if you look at this country in general, uh, and I think these, these challenges are even, you know, more highlighted during this, uh, this health crisis that we're all facing, uh, you know, 72% of Americans, you know, live on the edges financially. They live paycheck to paycheck and the traditional banks don't really want to serve those customers. Um, they can't really afford to, they don't make money on them. They, they want to serve wealthier folks who, uh, uh, can keep large balances with them and uh, can you know, buy their investment products and uh, you know, borrow larger amounts from a credit card, but also uh, uh, be uh, likely to pay it back. So there's a real gap in the marketplace in terms of financial services for you know, regular Americans who might live more paycheck to paycheck and have less savings. And so we created VARO to, uh, to, to fill that gap in the market and serve those customers.
0: You know, Wesley, what I like about VARO, and I've, I've written about this, I've talked about this in the podcast um, several times. Um, when, when you look at the, especially the senior management team, executive team at VARO, y'all come out of the industry. You know, um, this isn't theory. I mean, you, you worked at Amex for, I mean, something like 14 years um, when I stalked you on LinkedIn. Um, yes, you've also you've been in um, the private equity space um, right before joining borrow your 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 founder, I believe, uh, worked at Lloyd's for, for quite a few years. Um, that experience that you bring um, is, is priceless, in my opinion, I also think it gave you all a distinct advantage. And, and really building out a good product.
1: You know, our team is you know half financial services and half consumer mobile technology. So we really think think we bring you know the best of both of those disciplines to Varo. So yes, there's a set of folks like uh, Colin, our founder and CEO, and myself who come from many years of experience at large financial institutions. And what we've really learned there is you know how do you operate a financial business successfully because you're holding people's money mm-hmm. you know and they, they put their money with you and then they need to access their money to buy the things that they need and that's just an incredible amount of trust uh, that they're placing in you so you really need to operate very effectively so you can deliver on your promise back to your customers uh, but also you know to be a successful business we have to have fantastic technology we have to have uh, an amazing design uh, amazing product folks building customer experiences so we've Hired a bunch of you know amazing people out of Silicon Valley with great experience in those areas to ensure that we're delivering the best uh, the best product the best design uh, to our customers as well. And so we think that's a, a winning combination in this space.
0: One of the things I'm always curious about when I when I talk to folks um, that that have come out of this, the startup community and have been successful, and <clears throat> you look at borrow and what y'all have been able to do. Um, so you joined back in May of 2016. What was the pitch? What, what convinced you that, that uh, this was worth the leap, if you will?
1: At American Express, uh, at the end of my time there, I had been working on similar on a similar product, uh, really a, a prepaid card uh, that was designed as a bank account alternative to be sold in Walmart stores. It was called mm-hmm. Bluebird. And so Amex launched that in a partnership with Walmart, and I was part of the team that, uh, that led that launch. Uh, and, and, and led the initial development of that product, which is still in the market today. Uh, so I had seen the need uh, in the market for this type of a product. And uh, uh, I you know, was looking to move on from Amex after 14 years there. Uh, before I'd gone to Amex, I had worked at a startup in the late 90s and uh, uh, had always felt that I wanted to get experience at Amex and then go back into the startup world. Uh, so when I connected uh, over coffee uh, in the spring of 2016 with Colin uh, and he told me about what he was thinking of doing with Faro, I immediately saw the opportunity uh, because, again, there's just a huge market need. But I also thought that we could go at it more effectively as a standalone company with investors behind us uh, without trying to be part of a bigger company, because sometimes the bigger companies struggle with this kind of innovation um, you know, if it competes with an existing part of their business or they've got to hit quarterly earnings targets, they can't take quite a long-term view on the opportunity in the way that uh, that private equity or VC investors can. Uh, so I, I think I was excited about the mission from day one and I knew the space really well. And I also thought that the vision of how Colin wanted to go about it was, was going to make us successful. And a key part of that was the idea that while we would go to market with a sponsor bank kind of in the model of prepaid cards that that's how most of the, the FinTech space has gotten started and gotten to market. We would eventually seek a national banking charter, which I felt was going to position us for long-term. That's how
0: you, you couldn't have asked for a better experience leading into this, uh, for our European office. Um, the bluebird product that was launched by Amex uh, by American express and, uh, uh I think it was under Dan Shulman, who's now at PayPal, if I remember, and the work y'all did. Right. Um, for Amex to launch a product like that is, it, I don't, it's a word counterintuitive. What's the word I want to use there? <laughs> it's not what you expected to come out of Amex. And, you know, for you to have that experience um, uh, and then come over to borrow, that's just, actually, it's a fantastic, uh, one of those you don't expect that, that road, right, or that path when you look at your career, but great for you.
1: No, yeah, very true. And I mean, I was very fortunate that Amex's leadership at that time was very Mm -hmm. committed to digital innovation. And they were committed to broadening the reach of the brand. And uh, as we got into this space, also um, Amex was very committed to financial inclusion and did a lot of work uh, there. But, But there is something about You know, when you bring a product to market at a place like American Express and you're in a partnership with a a company like Walmart, like you have to pay attention to the details. You know, it has to work. And it all comes down to, you know, both of you have your brands at stake in terms of serving the customers well. And so I learned a lot. I mean, that was one of the things I really learned in all of my years at Amex was that focus on the customer. And everything that went into serving a customer well, because it's not just about good intentions, it's about execution. And so having that experience and learning the edge cases and learning those issues that you face with a product like this, um, at you know, with two leading brands behind you, then that, that, that experience has served you really well as we came into Varro and looked to deliver the same type of high quality experience to our customers when we got here. Yeah.
0: So one of the, one of the chief aims, and you've mentioned this several times now of borrows improving the financial health and uh, of individuals' lives and also um, focused on financial inclusion, man, if, if you guys were ever prepared for a time period <laughs> that no one saw coming, um, like we're going to be like we are going through and we're going to be going through for the foreseeable future. Um, when, when you look towards, those goals? So improving financial health and financial inclusion, how is borrow actually working towards that? What are some of the the key things you're doing?
1: So I think a lot of it comes down to our product construct uh, in that, you know, and it's, you're right, it's, it's very important right now as people are facing, you know, very, very challenging times. So, you know, just here are a few examples. One is that our product has uh, almost no fees associated with it. Um so you know there's no minimum balance requirement or minimum balance fee there's no monthly fee so so for, if somebody had an impact to their income because of this uh the, this this pandemic right they're not they're not going to get hit with fees because they didn't meet a a balance target um we uh we have uh, a network globally of uh, 55,000 ATMs that people can use free fee free and in the US those ATMs are in places like CVS and Walgreens and Rite Aid and Target, which are the places that are all staying open, um, you know, in, in all the different states during the pandemic, um, we we focus a lot on getting customers access to uh, their their cash or their money quickly, and uh, and having a little bit of a cushion to help out if they need a little extra. So we offer uh, early direct deposit. So some of this depends on what the employer does, but a lot of the time, the employer will send in funds for a Friday payday, but they actually arrive on Wednesday or Thursday. And so as soon as we get it, if they send it with those, that type of uh, uh, messaging, as soon as we get it, we'll post it to the account. So the customer can get their, their money early. We've also created a no fee overdraft capability. So for customers with a basic level of activity to show that they're committed to us with some recurring uh, deposit and, and debit card usage, uh, we'll give them uh, a $50 overdraft capability for no fees, no interest. Uh, if they don't pay us back, we're not going to report it to the credit bureau or go collect. Uh, we'll just you know, say, hey, we, we can't do this uh, again anymore. Um, so again, just trying to give people a bit of an ability to, uh, to stretch their income. And, uh, and then finally, we, uh, we do have a focus on savings. So we give people tools to uh, save automatically, set a little bit aside of each paycheck or, or a little bit that could come with each swipe of the debit card. Um, and we also pay a, a high interest rate on savings, so 1.6%. Uh, and then if you are uh, an active customer with us, you can, can earn 2.8%. So, so again, you know, in situations where, say, the government stimulus money comes into folks and they need they have the ability to set a bit of money aside until they need it. Um, then they're going to be able to earn a nice rate of interest on it. So, And so we, we also do a lot in terms of servicing our customers to help them out when their cash gets tied up. So for example, like if they've stayed at a hotel, I mean, I guess not really the issue here now in this time, but, but the hotel will put a hold on their money. Uh, we'll, we have ways to release that for them quickly before the hotel will release it back to give them access to their money. And we've put in some some practices in our servicing center to make sure that we can help people out if they're a, a little bit short, um, or if uh, they're waiting for, say, a refund, you know, from an order from uh, Instacart or DoorDash or something like that, uh, to get them access before that re- refund is processed.
0: See, i you really hit the news cycle last month um, in February with the the news about the approval for the FDIC insurance. Um, uh, congratulations! Thank you. By the way, thank you. Um, uh, I know so many of, uh, uh, us in the community have, have talked about that. Uh, that is, that is a massive achievement for a bank that was founded just a few years ago, or I'm sorry, or for a company that was just founded a few years ago to actually get that approval one step closer to that charter, right? Um, uh, so many have tried. <laughs> so, um, yeah. I looked at what you talked about earlier, you know, part of the, the hook for you to, to come over was the understanding that from. Really, from day one, you were going to pursue that charter. So, uh, again, congratulations. What's that process been like? Because I know this has been several years. Um, you know, uh, quite a bit of money in order to get there. Quite a bit of um, going back and forth um, with regulators around this. What What has that process been like?
1: So it's it's been a lengthy process. Uh, we have done a huge amount of work. We have partnered. Very closely with the regulators, who have been very supportive of this this innovation. Uh, you know, again, it gets back to this point of trust and uh, and and consumer protecting consumers and their money. So, uh, you know, it's it's there's a good reason that the banking industry is highly regulated, and there's a good reason that the bar to get a banking charter uh, backed up by FDIC insurance uh, the bar is very high. So, you know, again, this is an area where our team's experience has come into play because we started this process as a group of organizers, a group of individuals that uh, seeks the, uh, the charter from the OCC. We, we started this process at the end of 2016 in conversations with the OCC, and then we, we filed our, uh, our application in uh, in, uh 2017, and we got preliminary approval um, around Labor Day 2018. Just to give you a sense of the timing, and then the FDIC process, uh, we started uh, this past summer in 2019, and we got the uh, FDIC insurance approval, uh, you know, in the first quarter of this year. Uh, and so it's it's a huge amount of work. It's a huge amount of focus on detail on all the things that you have to do to operate a bank effectively. Um, but we feel like we had the team to do that. We had the investors who believed in the vision and and supported the investment, um, not just in sort of the people, the processes, the the technology, all to be ready to open up the bank. And we think it'll put us in a really good position for the long haul to have a sustainable business model and to be able to offer the the breadth of products that our customers are going to to need from us.
0: You know, for those of us that have been in the industry for a while. Um, I think what most of us can grasp is that from day one, you started to set yourself up for this because, and and I mean that across the board, just like you said, that means the the way you did your organizational structure, the way you did your risk models, the way that you approached technology, the way you hired, all of that had to be pointed toward this goal. So that means going back, like you said, all the way back to 2016, that had to be built into everything. That's not easy.
1: You no, know, it is. It, it, no, it's a it's a case study in having a vision as a a, a group of leaders, and I, I give Colin a lot of credit for this because he was looking, you know, well out to the future, even as we were building an app and you know working with our current partners um, who've been fantastic to uh, to get to market. You know, when we launched into the market in uh, 2017, so we were building a business, you know, uh, acquiring customers, serving them. You know uh, continuing to enhance our product offering and our app uh, but at the same time, we had a team of people that was writing yeah. you know a thousand page application for a bank charter and running complex financial models and thinking about stress tests and community reinvestment and uh, BSA AML monitoring and, and you know all sorts of things like that so so there was a vision um, and it, it also required like a mm-hmm. you're taking the harder path right because most of our competitors in fintech are are not pursuing this right and so we're trying to both build a business competing with folks who are a bit more focused on uh what they're doing right now in the market while we're trying to build this long-term capability uh but we do feel like now you know especially with the the fdic um approval that we're we're close to seeing you know that all, all of this pay off and then we'll we'll be in a really strong position uh, going forward with, with the charter.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about that just for a minute. Cause that's a common phrase you would hear on stage and panels like at Monday 2020 or, or any tech event, um, or in posts or, you know, in articles that would talk about, you know, does Amazon want to be a bank, for example, <clears throat> or, you know, Facebook or, or any of these tech players and a, a common phrase is why would they want the headaches that come with owning a charter? Um, you know, that's an argument you'd hear consistently. So I think that's a good question to ask you and and the team there. Why would you want to actually own the charter? What advantages does it give you? I've given you the most softball question (laughs) for that and you're welcome, but, but, but why, why would you want to go through this?
1: Sure. So I think, you know, there are a lot of, uh, fintech businesses out there that are leveraging, uh, sponsor banks. Uh, who are basically, you know, renting charter access to them uh, to, to get into the market, and certainly our our sponsor bank partner, the Bank the Bancorp Bank, has been a tremendous partner to us. And they knew from day one that this was our vision, and we put together a deal where, you know, they would they would help us get to market, but they knew that eventually we would be moving to this uh, to this charter. Um, and so I do think for for innovation, uh, for starting new businesses, getting to scale, the sponsor bank model can work really, really well. But at a certain point, it makes sense to have your own charter and control your own, your own destiny by working directly with the regulators. So, so we get a lot of advantages by having the charter. One is we have a broader uh, product suite. right? We, we can offer a range of different financial products, deposits, lending, investments, you know, all under one umbrella. Uh, we're able to, to look at a customer's data with a 360 view of all the products that they use and be able to help them from that perspective, where if you were to, to go after this from a, um, a sponsor model, you might have one sponsor on the deposit side, one on the credit side, uh, working with different uh, players and partners on the investment side, uh, where we can have that all as one data set in one data lake and then you know work with our customers to offer them information that's that's valuable to them based on that data.
0: Hey, can we stay there for a second? Because um, as somebody who's been in the industry a bit too long, I don't think you can stress how important that is, the idea of having a view of your customer in that in that single data lake. Because the reality is with the majority of the banks that are out there in financial institutions, whether this to be through mergers and acquisitions they have gone through, whether it be through multiple partners, getting a single point of view of a customer is nirvana. That is incredibly hard to accomplish for and I'm going to use that term legacy banks. And that is a distinct advantage you have and one that you really should um, shout to the rooftops. I'm so glad you went there.
1: No, absolutely. And we've built um, a tech stack using the latest technology. All of the data is flowing into a data lake. And uh, we see that as a huge advantage that we're going to have a 360 view with a customer, um, not just in terms of the products that they have. So we all know the frustration of like, Oh, I, I I want to get a mortgage with you know ABC Bank. I have a checking account with ABC Bank. Maybe they'll treat me differently. Yeah. And then you find that they actually you call the mortgage people and they have they have no knowledge of your the other part of your relationship. It's like a completely separate company with completely separate uh, technology. Uh, and we, we that's just how the the industry has worked. You know, even because um, it's been put together through acquisitions. Uh, or just uh, these these functions operate in silos uh, within the banks. Uh, so we're going to be able to offer a three hundred and sixty view. We can also then understand like what is a customer posting on social media? What what questions are they asking us there? What what's in uh, survey response have they sent us when we sent them a uh, you know a net promoter score survey about whether they'd recommend us to a friend? What uh, which partners of ours if we've Uh, You know, given a chance to work with one of our partners for for a service that we don't provide, say in the area of insurance or uh, or something like that, like what have they used there, right? And so we can we'll be able to have all of that in one place, and to use that, you know, to help the customer, to give them options, to give them choices, um, and to recognize the the breadth of the relationship that they have with us. So yeah, we're very excited about that. That's definitely a big part of our strategy, and we think that again with the charter we'll have all of that under one roof in one common textile
0: and i'll tell you when you when you think about timing right um getting that approval in february obviously you know uh the events that we're all going through it's um we could argue you know how how far ahead you could have seen this coming but you know the reality is that the timing for you really was um optimal um I, i'd be curious i mean you know. What do you think the state's going to be like? Um, you know, for say other um, uh, technology companies that want to pursue this path going forward, you would think it's going to be delayed for a while, just because of you know where attention needs to be placed. Let's let's put it that way. Um, I mean, do you think this does underscore a, cor- a regulatory commitment to to you know these these tech companies that are trying to address financial inclusion? Do you think there's a um, there's intent by the regulators to potentially offer more of these charters? Because in the U.S., we've been pretty locked out when it comes to granting charters to companies.
1: Uh, I think the regulators are very committed to innovation.
0: Yeah, I do too. I think that's a good statement. I agree.
1: You know, I, th- I think they are, and they've been very supportive of, of what we've done. Uh, but they also have uh, very high standards. As they should. For good reason. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, because again, it's about, Protecting uh, individuals and their hard-earned money, and uh, and making sure that you know you're not um you're, you know you're you're protecting against money laundering, and you're uh you know your your advertising is uh straight up and uh, and clear and transparent, and uh, y- you know all those ways in which the regulators protect consumers. So uh, the bar is high. So I, so I think that they're they're very supportive of innovation, but they also you know they're very clear that the standards have to be met. And so, for organizations that have the the teams and the experience to meet those standards, they'll they'll be very supportive. But I also think if if you know, and I you know, if you go into them and say, well, why do I need to do all this? <laughs> yeah. Boy, this seems hard. Like, can't you make it easier? Right? They're they're going to say, you know, sorry, we're going to talk to the folks who are who are ready to step up. But but you know, we saw they did just um, the FDIC just did, did gave an approval to Square yeah. for a, an industrial loan charter. Yeah in in utah right so that shows a continued commitment um you know even in the face of the the, the current crisis that we're all experiencing yeah
0: 2020 has really been something else <laughs> just it has uh, as, thank god march is just about done but um the amount of activity that has happened in just the fintech space in the banking space um january to march has been just incredible i mean th- and some of this news gets lost in all of the noise and, and i want to mention one of those so in february you also partnered with World Remit, right? Um, uh, using the Borrow app to be able to send money abroad. Can you talk a little bit about uh, how that partnership came about and, and why? What, what's the intent there?
1: Sure. So we, you know, we're always looking for more ways to serve our customers and uh, you know meet their needs. And so we saw that one need was you know, our customers. Some of our customers are looking to send money. Uh, Outside the U.S. Uh, to family members, so you know we had conversations with a range of different companies in this space. I think another principle is we're also looking to work with innovative companies. Yeah, you know, uh, you know the fintechs or insurtechs or you know other companies that are that are innovating in this space uh, and, and that would resonate with our customers. So we looked at a lot of these different players, and we're very excited to partner with uh, with Board Vermitt um, and you know, I think a couple of their their top executives are folks that um, you know members of the Varo team have have known for you know over the course of their careers uh, uh, as well. Uh, and I think that as we looked at an, a range of different players, we also we felt like it was very important that we had a partner in that space uh, who could support uh, delivering uh, cash to folks in different countries because that's what our customers were looking to do. So there are a number of players. We have a fantastic cross-border remittance offerings, but it's all you know, bank account to bank account. And uh, in some cases, our customers weren't looking to send money to a bank account in a country. They were looking to get an opportunity for cash pickup. So more remit offered that. So we decided to go with them. We're very excited about the partnership. And what we'll have the opportunity to do in working with them is to really learn more about what our customers uh, need and, um, you know, what services they're using. And then, you know, from there, we'll continue to evolve the partnership and see if, uh, you know, we we want to take it to a further level of uh, integration.
0: You know, Wesley, one of the things I'm really curious about, um, I'm, a, I'm an ex-product person back in the day, too. And with your background, when you look at an event like what we're going through, and about the, the closest I can relate this to is back in 2008, right? Um, what we went through as an industry. Um, when you are developing a product such as this um how do you <laughs> this is a very loaded question so i apologize how do you stay focused right how do you because there's there's obviously some knee-jerk or gut you know uh check reactions you'd want to make uh, on products um so you have to look both short-term and long-term right as you build these out financial inclusion obviously is going to be a massive issue um and and i think it's I think under the current environment, it's going to get more and more focus on it, right? Because we're going to see people impacted that we didn't expect. Just yesterday, for example, in the U.S., for our um, our audience in Europe, we had in the retail industry between Macy's Gap and Kohl's, I think, 300,000 people put on furlough. That's just three companies.
1: Right. It's it's devastating. The impact for so many people, it's it's devastating.
0: Yeah. I mean, we had 3.3 uh, million people employed for uh, unemployment or file for unemployment last week, the, the numbers over the next couple of weeks are going to be staggering. So this does get back to products like yours that solve distinct, you know, like you, the edge, what used to be the edge cases over the next year or so aren't going to be the edge cases anymore, right? They're moving more toward the center. We right. talked about that earlier. So, um, if you reflect on that, how, how do you stay focused and how do you look to say, okay, this is where we actually do need to, I don't know if the words pivot, but move a little bit toward these other, what we thought were edge cases. And I know that's a hard question.
1: So I think in, in this time of a crisis and I do, you know, I, yeah, I, I liken it to, you know, 2008 and then also, um, you know, what happened after uh, a nine yeah. 11, uh, cause I had just joined American express right before, nine uh, 11 and these, these times of, of crisis and shock that, that, you know, affect so many people's lives. Um, I think the first thing you need to do is you have to focus on the basics. Yeah, you know we're offering a service to our customers. Uh, we're giving them a place to put their money. We're giving them access to spend their money as they need it. Uh, we're giving them tools to help do that. So we need to be very focused on delivering on the basics. So we we moved, you know, quickly. We were ready. Uh, to, to move all of our customer service staff, who's based in, around Salt Lake City, Utah, uh, to, to work from home. And, you know, we had, we had prepared for that. We were ready for it in case of an emergency, and we were able to, to do that quite quickly, uh, which we needed to do. We wanted, we wanted to protect all of our employees, right? We wanted to get everybody to the safest environment yeah. possible. Um, but it also then put us in a good position to serve our customers. Uh, you know and actually, on the second day of working from home in Salt Lake City, there was an earthquake oh, um, which uh, <laughs> which was quite quite uh, and no one was hurt um it was uh, uh, but it was it was pretty scary and there were a lot of aftershocks and uh, you know, we first had to really focus on like, is our team okay? Is everybody on our team right. okay and And once we knew that then then we were focused on well, who can be you know, who has power, who can get back up and running and serving customers? And the commitment that folks showed that day—you know—they really didn't skip a beat. And uh, so, so that's been a huge focus on just being, you know, there, open for business, ready to serve our customers, um, and to deliver on all the things that we're already delivering. Because again, a, a digital bank with no fees, no minimum balances, um, a, a call center that's set up to be very empathetic, to listen to individual cases, to, to try to help people out. Um, those serve us very well in the current environment. And we're, we're very focused on that. Uh, I think, you know, we're also looking at within our product set, just things that we can do to, to help our customers um, uh, out in this time. So just one, one small thing that we've done, and again, it's not, it's not a, a sufficient by any means, is, you know, for ATM transactions, you typically have a limit as to how much somebody can take out in a day, Right. And that's to, uh, that can be friction for good folks, but that's there to protect against money laundering or fraud, et cetera. So uh, we've increased our daily ATM limit. Um, that's going to go into effect on uh, Thursday, uh, April 2nd, in a, in a couple of days here. Wow. Good for you. Uh, Because I, I just thought like, gosh, I live here in New York City. Like, I don't want to go out of the house any more than I have to. Exactly. Right. So if I, if I have to go to the ATM and I have the ability to get out more money at a time, let me do that. So I don't even make two trips. Right? So it's a small thing, but it's just the types of things that you're looking at. But but I think in general, for us, from a product perspective, what we need to keep doing is we're constantly listening to customers through multiple uh, 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 touch points. So we pay very close attention to all the app reviews, to social media commentary, uh, to uh, uh, you know survey results, like, uh, you know, I'm I basically my first... Half hour to an hour every single day is looking at everything that came in the night before and looking up individual situations and make sure, making sure everything is, is operating the way it should. And then seeing if there's anything we might need to adjust or change based on what customers are telling us. Um, we're, we're fortunate that because we're all digital, we continue you know using video chat to do focus groups and talk to customers to get feedback on our existing product and on how do we enhance it. Um, we're very focused on making sure that we're set up to help people receive their stimulus money from the government um, without friction. And so we're we're paying close attention to how the government intends to deliver that so we can be prepared and be ready. Um, So so I think, you know, we're, in a way, it's like, it, it all comes down to like first principles. Like how do you operate effectively? How do you really listen to your customers and let that guide your product roadmap? And yes, you're right, we may find that we make changes versus our original plans because of what customers need now and that we just have to be focused and be able to be nimble and be responsive to what customers need right now.
0: Well, I think Borrow is a, an excellent case study on, this is going to sound contradictory, but being able to move fast, having patience <laughs> and and building the team the right way, which I think we can kind of summarize is make sure you're consistently and constantly across multiple um, channels and input points to listen to your customer and engage with them. So uh, Wesley, from the team at 11FS, um, I'm giving you a, a little standing applause right now. I'm really proud of the team and what you've been able to do. Thank you. <laughs> it's, I understand how hard it is.
1: Yeah, we're, we're proud of our team too.
0: Yeah, Yeah, you really should be. Well, Wesley, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Sam. Yeah, where can people find out more about you and what's going on with Vorrow
1: Money? You can check out our website, uh, VorrowMoney.com. Uh, you can check us out on uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. Got a lot of great content on a lot of different topics uh, and also very focused on uh, helping our customers and potential customers during this uh, very challenging time for for so many. Well,
0: thanks for joining us. Uh, Everyone, as for me, you can find me at Sam Mall on Twitter. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our podcast. Review us on iTunes. We love reading those reviews. Pass the podcast along. If you know someone who loves FinTech, who isn't listening to FinTech Insider, tell them about the show. If you have any suggestions or feedback, please reach out to us on Twitter or email podcast at 11fs.com. Thank you so much for listening. Stay
1: safe, everybody.